What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with looking for a rebound. Stocks looking to bounce back after a rough session yesterday as investors brace for the busiest day of this earnings season. And when it comes to earnings this morning, it's all about meta. The stock popping after reversing a three-quarter slot. And then after the close, attention will shift over to Amazon. And if strength in the cloud can outweigh weakness in the consumer. Plus, a developing story as we watch shares of First Republic Bank set to open up near a fresh record low as the bank mulls any and all options for a possible rescue. And then later, ahead of the Fed's policy meeting next week, why the gang at J.P. Morgan is now turning to AI to help read the tea leaves. It is Thursday, April the 27th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. I hope your morning is getting off to a great start. Let's kick off this hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a mixed session yesterday. This morning, we are seeing green across the board. It looks like right now the Dow would open up almost 100 points higher if it were to open up right now. But as we always say, it's early. Ahead of your trading day, it's all about earnings as we get set for the busiest day of earnings season. Out today, we have Caterpillar, our parent company Comcast, Eli Lilly, Merck, Amazon, Intel, and so many more. After today's earnings season, we're at the halfway mark. We are also watching the energy sector. As always, oil. We're going to begin with the U.S. benchmark. WTI crude at about $74, almost 50 cents, up fractionally this morning. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, almost at 78 bucks a barrel, also up fractionally this morning. This morning, natural gas also up uh, fractionally, but natural gas above $2. Interesting there. All right, that is your setup. But right now, let's get to your top story and shares of Meta Platforms. Popping ahead of the open after reversing a three-quarter sales slide, our Arjun Kapal, he joins us now from London with a look at those numbers. Arjun. Good morning, Frank. And look, let me just run through the headline figures here. Revenue of $28.65 billion, up 3%. Earnings per share, $2.20, down 19%, but less than expected. And that was key for the market. The company giving revenue guidance for Q2 of $29.5 billion to $32 billion a beat. The messaging here from Meta is this. We are investing in our future in AI, in the metaverse, but the bread and butter, that core advertising business, is still holding up strong despite the macro headwinds. And that's really what we saw. It's Reality Labs division with its VR and AR strategy lost $3.9 billion in the quarter. But investors tolerating those losses mainly because uh, of four things. First, the job cuts and restructuring appears to be going well. Uh, Meta really sort of trimming the fat there. The core ad business is back on track with ad revenue jumping in the quarter. The guidance was good. And as I mentioned, the company saying it's still investing in its future uh, of metaverse and crucially of AI as well, which continues to be a theme through the earnings season, Frank. 
Arjun, you're the expert when it comes to all this. MediShare is up 11%. How much of this is the sales growth and advertising business getting back on track? How much of it is the AI hype here? Uh, Mark Zuckerberg saying AI more than 50 times during the call. Absolutely. I think the first thing was their core business, that ad business, jumped. It was better than the market expected. And we've heard a lot of noises about the difficulties of the macro situation and what impact that is having on advertisers' budgets and their willingness to spend on digital platforms. You saw there for Meta showing uh, that actually their digital ad business on Facebook, on Instagram and elsewhere remains strong. And you heard similar things from Alphabet as well, saying that they're continuing to see, see ad dollars as well. But part of it as well, as you mentioned, AI investments. Mark Zuckerberg mentioning AI 50 times versus about 10 times for the metaverse. And he gave us some idea about what the company's doing with AI. He's saying they're investing in AI for recommendations uh, in the feeds of Instagram and Facebook. He said around 20% of content that you're recommended on Facebook now comes as a result of our AI. He also gave investors a little sneak preview at what the company's working on in other products. He said they're working on something uh, called an AI agent, which I assume is a form of chatbot that it's going to be integrated into its messenger product as well as well as whatsapp for business but he also said they're working on visual creation tools he called them for creating posts so think about typing in a prompt and perhaps some sort of image being generated by ai so that's of course is exciting investors as the ai is the word on the lips for all analysts and investors during the selling season yeah, that Meta report also given a boost to other social media stocks in the sector. Arjun, right now we're looking at Snap and Pinterest, both of them higher right now in the pre-market. Arjun Kapal, thank you so much for your insight. As always, you're always on top of all this AI news. We appreciate it. All right, time now to go back to earnings, and we're going to pivot back to the broader markets as investors continue to march through the busiest week of quarterly results. We get names including Amazon, Caterpillar, Intel, Merck, and Southwest, Southwest Airlines, just to name a few of the names reporting. And the overall earnings picture, it actually appears to be getting a little bit better. Refinitive data showing the estimated decline in first quarter S&P 500 results is getting smaller as more companies report. Analysts now expect first quarter earnings to have fallen 3.2 percent year over year compared to estimates of a more than 5 percent decline back at the start of April. For much more on this, let's bring in Michael Sheldon, executive director and chief investment officer at RDM Financial Group. Michael, great to have you here. Good morning. All right. So what are you making of earnings season so far? And also that it looks like it won't be as bad as we previously thought just a couple of weeks ago at the start of April. Yeah, it looks like earnings so far have come out a little bit better than expected, which is certainly encouraging. Um, as you look at the progression of numbers through the year, it's interesting. Uh, estimates for the second quarter right now are forecast to be down about six percent. For the third quarter, estimates are supposed to be flattish. There are some estimates down about one, some up about one. So call it flattish. And then the inflection point comes in the third quarter, a fourth quarter, excuse me, where estimates are currently forecast to be up about 8%. If you look at all of 2023, currently forecasts are for about flattish growth. And then more importantly, for 2024, next year, that's hard to believe we're already looking ahead. But for next year, <laughs> estimates are up about 12%. So I think it'll be important as we go through the next few quarters that those 2024 numbers hold up. Because importantly, stocks bottom before before um, profits do. So if these numbers are at least directionally right, that should bode well for stocks as we head through the middle of the year. All right. So you just actually kind of answered the question I was going to ask you next. I mean, 
if these profits are better, that's kind of a bullish sign for the markets. Something else I want to ask you about the dollar. So last year, the dollar rose about 8%. It was a big headwind for a lot of businesses, especially multinationals. This year, year to date, the dollar's down about 2%. What does that say to you about the potential for the market from here? And are, are there any sectors that you think are going to be especially impacted to the upside because of this falling dollar? Yeah, the dollar is important, uh, sort of an underrated uh, part of the market that you need to monitor. The dollar was a strong headwind for uh, for the economy and also for corporate profits in 2022. And in late 2022, it looks like the U.S. dollar uh, peaked and started to decline. So at least historically, when the dollar has weakened, that's been more bullish for foreign markets and emerging markets overseas. It's also had an impact on different parts of the market. For example, energy and um, basic material stocks are the two sectors that get more than 50 percent of their revenues from overseas. So you would think they and probably technology stocks would benefit in terms of um, translating foreign profits back into the U.S. And I think, generally speaking, foreign markets perform a little bit better than they have with a strong dollar. So they're definitely it also creates more of a risk on environment in the market when the dollar is declining versus falling. So I think this will be important to monitor as we go through the next uh, several quarters. All right. A bullish Michael Sheldon saying it could be risk on. We appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. All right. A lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors need to know today. And whatever investor enthusiasm is being fueled by earnings from big tech, that's now being sucked away by concerns around First Republic Bank. That stock set to open up at a fresh record low, the latest in just a moment. Plus, DraftKings looking to move beyond gambling, placing a big bet on a new endeavor outside of online gambling. Plus, your morning's big money movers, including one e-commerce player, really popping in the pre-market. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one Eight four four Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories, including Johnson & Johnson's talk troubles not being over just yet. Our Silvana Hanau is here with that story and many others. Good morning, Silvana. Hey, Frank. Good morning. That's right. So Johnson & Johnson's consumer business spinoff is being targeted by new claims its talcum powder products can cause cancer. Now, this coming just days before it attempts to complete the largest U.S. initial public offering in almost 18 months. According to the Financial Times, citing regulatory filings, Kenview has been named in at least seven talc lawsuits filed since April. 
Johnson & Johnson had tried to shield Canview from any talk-related suits ahead of the spinoff. DraftKings is reportedly planning to launch its very own streaming service. Bloomberg reports the new service is expected to be free and supported by advertising and will feature videos of podcasts from company sponsors. And Bill Gates is nearly $2 billion richer. This amid Microsoft's record stock price gain following a blowout earnings report and its best day since November 2022. Gates, who is already worth $122 billion, is Microsoft's largest investor with around 103 million shares, Frank. I can't remember what company it is, but there's a commercial like, who doesn't like more money? I mean, I know he's got $100 billion, but who doesn't need a couple but extra he's, but billion? he's still not the richest, so he's only number six. I, I think he'll be okay. I think so. I think he'll be all right. All right, yeah. we'll see you later on the show. Right. Thank you very much. All right, let's get to a developing story. And that ongoing saga for First Republic Bank shares tanking another 30% yesterday after sliding more than 49% just a day earlier, hitting an all-time low as it struggles to stabilize its balance sheet, overcome a massive withdrawal in customer deposits, and prevent any future runs. The latest U.S. bank regulators, they're reportedly considering downgrading their private assessments of the bank. That's a move that could curb First Republic's ability to borrow from the Federal Reserve. So this comes after CNBC reported advisors to First Republic are trying to convince other banks to buy its bonds at a loss. Now, if those banks do not buy those bonds at a loss and First Republic fails, the industry could face roughly $30 billion in new insurance fees from the FDIC. All of this as the Fed, Treasury and the White House continue to be in contact with the bank, but so far are taking no action on a rescue. Joining me now is Stephen Gandell, U.S. banking correspondent for The Financial Times. Stephen, good morning. Good morning to you. All right. So our David Faber is reporting the government, at least at this time, is unwilling to rescue First Republic. We just touched on that. So if the other banks, if they don't buy those bonds at a loss, what is the potential impact to those other banks? And also, what's the potential impact to consumers like us? Well, for the other banks, it's not just, you know, the, the FDIC, while it's backed fully by the, you know, in the end, it's backstopped by taxpayers. The FDIC is funded through assessments of big banks. And so if uh, FDIC, if, sorry, if First Republic fails, the FDIC could assess that cost to the mostly to all the whole banking sector. But, you know, the, the biggest banks pay the largest percentage of that. Um, but the other issue the banks have is that they have 30 billion, at least 11 biggest banks, uh, they have $30 billion in deposits at First Republic. So there's this calculus about whether, uh, you know, in the recent bank failures, the, the F- FDIC has backed all the deposits. But you could see uh, that's one of the negotiating things, right, from the, from the FDIC probably at this point saying, hey, you know, um, if this fails – not only are we going to assess you, but you could be out your $30 billion in deposits, too. So potentially that hits the, you know, the top and the bottom line of these other banks that put their money into First Republic. Is there any consumer impact to any of this happening? The consumer impact would be if this sparks, you know, more concerns. Like, say that F- the First Republic fails and, you know, a certain portion of its deposits are not, deposits are not insured, then it starts to be a concern for other banks. And um, that uh, drives up what those banks have to pay. And, you know, we, we to, to try to keep deposits and we see a kind of acceleration of this bank run. And, and okay. um, so possibly and, 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 you know, a, a you systemic have, risk here, possibly, assist, possibly, you know, okay. you have a lot of banks looking around their shoulders saying who's in trouble and and do I have counterparty risk? And that 
that makes them nervous. It makes consumers okay. nervous and potentially it slows down um, right. spending, although we haven't seen that yet. All right. Let me ask you, I guess, what's the 30 billion dollar question? Um, we saw other banks go out and they bought the majority of assets and some of the assets of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Why is there so much deal hesitancy? It appears to be when it comes to this bank and its assets. Well, well I don't that that's uh, so we don't have the, quite have the timing right. Right. Yes. Uh, S- Signature and Silicon Valley got bought, but that was only after they failed and there was a government backstop. Like those, I think the fact that the way those went in terms of like the buyers that that got them, they got these these loss sharing deals and they got carve outs for certain things they didn't want. Remember Silicon uh, Signature, uh, the crypto assets stayed with the FDIC, and so the fact that. They got such sweetheart deals. I think that means that other people who are looking at First Republic are sitting back and saying, hey, wait, I'm better off waiting till this thing fails and uh, I'll get a better deal. And that's part of what's going on here. There's a chicken and egg, chicken game being played by the government, by the big banks, by First Republic. The, whole, the talk, the, the FDIC would, would lower the ratings, the camel ratings of the bank. That's what you're talking about. And re- remove its ability to borrow from the from the Fed discount window. All this is the game of chicken going on to see who blinks first. The banks want the best deal. The uh, uh, First Republic wants to stay in business. The, the government doesn't want to be seen as bailing out a bank. It's all this chicken okay. game going. Yeah, game of chicken in the financial sector. That doesn't sound great, Stephen Gandell from the Financial Times. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your insight. Thank you for being here. All right, coming up on WEX, CNBC's month-long coverage of financial literacy continues and what my next guests are doing to disrupt the space for future savers. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix. All right, time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. We begin with Roku. Shares rising following a mixed earnings report for the first quarter, where it posted a larger per share loss than analysts expected, but it topped revenue estimates by more than 30 million. The TV streaming platform also raising its outlook for the current quarter revenue to 770 million. That's higher than Wall Street's estimate of 768 million. Shares of eBay also getting a pop after it beat first quarter earnings and revenue estimates and forecasted current quarter revenue above Wall Street projections. The e-commerce site benefiting from its strategy of focusing on product categories, including sneakers and watches, also on items like collectibles and refurbished products. And Align Technology moving in the opposite direction despite reporting earnings and revenue that came in above analyst estimates. The orthodontics company saying capital expenditures are likely to exceed $200 million dollars due to building construction and improvements, along with additional manufacturing cost to support Align's ongoing international expansion. Turning now to financial literacy, as CNBC celebrates National Financial Literacy Month with new plans to help you with your personal balance sheet. 
The new initiative called CNBC Your Money will be dedicated to helping you manage, grow and protect your finances with a focus on meeting the needs of a core but underserved audience. Recent data shows that 38 percent of Americans believe their lack of financial literacy cost them at least five hundred dollars in twenty twenty two. That's up 11 percent compared to 2021, according to the National Financial Educators Council. And it's not just CNBC. An increasing amount of firms and organizations are putting more emphasis on improving financial literacy across all age groups. And that includes our next guests, Troy Millings and Rashad Bilal. They're the co-founders of Earn Your Leisure, a growing media platform for investing, entrepreneurship and financial literacy focused on communities of color. Gentlemen, good morning. Good Good morning. morning. How are you doing? So, Troy and Rashad, just both of you, I want to ask you, what do you think the biggest issue when it comes to financial literacy is financial literacy is right now? Well, um, not knowing. Right. And I feel like that comes from parenting, that comes from schooling, that comes from lack of experience. But not knowing can actually hurt you tremendously down the line. So not knowing about you know how to properly use credit, you make a mistake when you're 19 years old and that could still haunt you to your 40. Right. Not knowing how to actually start investing when you're young. And then you try to play catch up when you're 50 years old. You never really realize the importance of a 401k when you first started working because you wasn't educated on it. Nobody taught you. So this lack of information um, when you're young catches up to you when you're older. And oftentimes you're not able to to make up the gap. Yeah, I 100% agree. It's the lack of exposure, the lack of education. It's something that is not privy to a lot of our communities. We almost look at foreign lang- We almost look at financial literacy as a foreign language. And so our job and, you know, money others in the space are trying to debunk that myth and create something that treats it like uh, a language that can be uh, understood by the, the masses. Right. We want to make sure that people are not only financially literate, but financially fluent so they can speak the language. Yeah, absolutely. You are definitely speaking to communities of color, especially you have such a big audience, more than a million followers on Instagram. You also have your financial literacy conference coming up called InvestFest. One of your headliners, Robert F. Smith, a big name here at CNBC and just in the financial sector overall. What's the big takeaway? I'm going to start with you, Troy. What's the big takeaway that you want people that go there to come away with? Uh, again, it's the exposure. I mean, it, it, he's the, the wealthiest black man in the history of, of America. And for a large part of our community, they didn't have any idea who he was and how he got that wealth. And so once we understand how somebody's accumulated something, now we can figure out a blueprint of how we can replicate and do things in a similar fashion. Right. And, and, and so it becomes aspirational for us. Right. We can see something now we can obtain to, to actually be it. Rashad, what do you think? I think that, you know, to have not only somebody like him, but John Hope Bryant and Don Peoples III and a variety of other top business leaders, Mike Novogratz, um, it's inspiring, it's aspirational, and it's informational. So, you know, it's one thing to, you know, see somebody on YouTube and to watch somebody like Robert Smith give an interview on CNBC or other great platforms, but to actually have an in-person experience with him can actually be life-changing because, as Troy said, the richest black person in American history is um, not somebody that you see every day, right? And it's not somebody that's championed enough, I don't think, in our culture and throughout the world. So um, to have him on a platform in front of 20,000 people and for people to actually learn from him and to see him and to actually you know, see how close they can actually be to him. They can become him if they try hard enough. So I think it's a very aspirational um, thing to to have somebody like that at an event. All right. So it is National Financial Literacy Month. A lot of people aspire to be wealthier and just have their finances in better shape. I want to ask each one of you if there's one area, actionable area that people can go into today to try to improve their overall finances for the long term. What would it be? Rashad, I'm going to start with you. Um, Education. Once again, I think that, you know, 
read, right? Read, listen to podcasts, um, watch CNBC, you know, educate yourself. Uh, I feel like the form of education that we're used to is from kindergarten to 12th grade or kindergarten to college. But education is a lifelong journey. It never stops. And it doesn't happen just in the classroom walls. The best education happens outside of the classroom. So um, I feel like we're in a new age of digital learning. And there's so much free information out there. So okay. I would encourage everybody to further their educational journey. Yeah, and I think in addition to that, once you have the education, it's time to create a plan. And so that's kind of one of the things that we've been highlighting is different ways that you can actually obtain income and contain obtain a career. Um, and so whether that be in real estate or whether that be investing, we want to make sure that people see different opportunities and different ways to make money. Um, and so that's vitally important for so long. We only thought there was one or two things right. that we could do to be wealthy. And so... We want to open that, that landscape up and so that there's different opportunities. And that's why, you know, InvestFest, where we're having people from different walks of life and different career paths, you know, we, we want to have that aspiration and inspiration for people to see. All right. Troy Millings and Rashad Bilal, earn your leisure. Guys, I'm a big fan of your work. InvestFest coming up. You also have a weekly podcast. Thank you for the work you're doing, especially during National Financial Literacy Month. Great to see Appreciate you, guys. you All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, we get set for Southwest as it reports earnings in just over an hour from now with a focus on operational issues and how its action plan following the December meltdown is now playing out. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after the break. It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. Shares of Meta, they are soaring ahead of the open. The tech giant's emphasis on efficiency appearing to pay off so far. I continue to believe that slowing hiring, flattening our management structure, increasing the percent of our company that is technical, and more rigorously prioritizing projects will improve the speed and quality of our work. All right, we are digging into the numbers, setting the stage for a showdown over the debt limit. The House clearing Speaker McCarthy's plan to hike government borrowing limits and curb President Biden's domestic agenda. And trouble for the economic road ahead? The signals that transport stocks they may be sending about the rising risk of a potential recession. It is Thursday, April the 27th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collins. Pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned earlier today, in the green across the board. Right now we're seeing the Nasdaq with a pretty big pop. Of course, found those meta earnings, but all three again higher in the pre-market. All right, this morning, we're also looking at the state of freight and what that could mean for our broader economy. So take a look right here. Dow Transports, they are pretty close to flat on the year following a recent sharp downturn that was on the back of UPS earnings. The logistics giant saying U.S. volumes when it comes to freight have spiraled downward for the first four months of the year. Now the index for rails, trucks, e-commerce, other transportation stocks, it's now on pace for its worst week since September of last year. And right here, you can see a sharp downturn when you look at the S&P, there's the orange line. Down here, that's the Dow Transports. So not coincidentally, September was also when FedEx's CEO warned of a global recession, saying freight volumes in the U.S. and Asia dropped rapidly. Now with UPS telling a pretty similar story, it's only logical to think that transports, they could be a leading indicator for the economy. And in this case, a recession. Here's the thing, though. We're getting some mixed signals from e-commerce. That's really continued to grow, jumping double digits in three 
out of the last four months. You're seeing actually in March it jumped up 13 percent. Same story for February. So we're seeing some pretty, pretty big spikes there. We continue to see a strong consumer. Goldman Sachs also estimating that consumer disposable income, that'll actually increase by 8 percent in 2023. But trucking rates, they continue to fall in the spot market, and that's often seen as a leading indicator of demand and pricing power in the overall freight market. So those rates now down 24 percent year over year, but they're nearly 20 percent higher than they were during the start of the pandemic. This is back in 2020, April of 2020. So the same way a narrow UPS earnings miss started the slide for transports, top and bottom line misses this week by trucker Old Dominion has triggered a sell-off in trucking stocks. You're seeing Old Dominion this week down 12 percent. TFI down 14 percent, SIA down 11 percent. Both of them are in the LTL space. That's a lot of industrial trucking. But we're also seeing a 5.6 percent slide in Knight Swift. That's the biggest trucker in the U.S. They also do a lot of consumer trucking. We also saw the rail, Canadian Pacific, Kansas City, missing earnings. So now we're seeing e-commerce, trucking and rails all showing deep declines. So it would hard to say that we're not in a freight recession. The question remains, does that mean that we're going to go into a general recession? We're going to continue to watch that story here on Worldwide Exchange. All right, time now for a check on the early trade over in Europe. And some of the stocks on the move there, Jamana Bersetti is standing by in our London newsroom with much more on that. Jamana, over to you. Frank, well, today is all about earnings, 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 earnings. We've had a bunch of different companies report the likes of Unilever and consumer goods, pharmaceuticals, GSK, Roche. And you can see that this is translating to broadly a more positive session with the exception of the FTSE 100 in the UK, down about six basis points. But the main focus in earnings has been some of the banks. So let me just take you to the key results out of Deutsche Bank. You can see the stock is up two percentage points posting a first quarter net profit of 1.3 billion euros, topping estimates. The German lender was boosted by profits from higher interest rates, which offset a drop in revenue. So nice reaction there. We spoke to the CFO earlier, and he was feeling pretty confident about their results. So also switching over to the UK, Barclays beat expectations for the first quarter profit, also boosted by strong performance at its consumer banking units. The British lender posted 2.6 billion pounds in pre-tax profit, with net income at its consumer cards and payments division rising 47%. So the stock is also performing quite well, up almost 5 percentage point right at the top of the stock 600. And then finally, Samsung, very quickly, another stock that we were looking at, up about 8 tenths of a percentage point, despite posting a record $3.4 billion loss. Frank. All right, Jumana Brissetti in our London newsroom. Jumana, thank you very much. All right, time now for a check of this morning's top corporate stories, including a D.C. showdown taking shape. Our Savannah Hanau is back with those headlines. Hey, Frank, that's right. So House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's plan to raise the debt ceiling, clearing that chamber. House members voting 217 to 215 to approve the bill to raise the government's borrowing limit and slash government funding. The measure is not expected to pass in the Senate. McCarthy is not not expected to pass in the Senate. McCarthy's strategy around the bill is seen as putting pressure to get President Biden to the negotiating table. An executive shakeup at Pioneer Natural Resources with the shale giant announcing CEO Scott Sheffield will retire at the end of the year. Sheffield will be succeeded by Pioneer's chief operating officer, Richard Dealey. The announcement comes after recent talk of Pioneer being a potential takeover target by the U.S. major companies. And a week before the Federal Reserve's next policy meeting, J.P. Morgan reportedly 
um, unveiling an AI-powered model looking to clarify the central bank's messaging and reveal potential trading signals. According to Bloomberg, the chat GPT-like system uses Fed statements and speeches from central bank members going back 25 years. The report adds that J.P. Morgan plans to expand the tool to cover more than 30 central banks globally. Frank, what could go wrong? <laughs> Everybody's using AI now. Yeah, you and I, I have to get into it. I, uh, I don't know. We've got to figure it out. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. You got it. All right. Turning now to one of this morning's big money movers, that's Meta Platforms, really taking off in the pre-market after reporting an unexpected increase in sales for the first quarter and issuing better than expected guidance for the current period. The move further boosts the stock, which has really been on a tear since CEO Mark Zuckerberg announced in February this will be the company's quote unquote year of efficiency. Shares lost two thirds of their value back in 2022, but they're now up more than 160 percent from their November low. But if last quarter's word of the earnings call was efficiency, this quarter it was AI, with Mark Zuckerberg mentioning it 57 times last night and really emphasizing the artificial intelligence capabilities for Meta. Joining me now to discuss Sophie Lund-Yates, Hargreaves Lansdowne, senior equity analyst. Sophie, thank you for being here. Hi, good morning. Great to be back. So, Sophie, give us your take on the quarter. It really seems like the Mark Zuckerberg and Meta, they're really walking what I kind of see as a tightrope of efficiency, but also growth that's going to excite investors. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is where really an element of contradiction comes in. Um, a huge part of the rally that you've just been just been discussing there. The market is relieved that cash is being funneled towards more traditional areas of, of the business. That's what really kind of kicked off the initial rally. So what we're now hearing is a lot of this chatter about AI and more exciting projects coming through, but actually the exact plan for that spend um, and what exactly AI will look like for, for Meta is a little bit woolly, um, I would say. It's not, as, it's not as clear cut as some other tech names. Um, so really, I mean, when you talk about the earnings um, specifically that we've just had, you know, it was a really, really resilient quarter. You know, the market is very relieved to see um, a moving um, advertising line. It's moving in the right direction for, for once. Um, but really, I would be watching this commentary around AI very closely because the market is going to react negatively if, if Zuckerberg gets too carried away with those spending plans again. All right. So speaking of spending, I'm looking at Reality Labs. It brought in $339 million, but it also lost almost $4 billion. What do you make of that? How long are investors going to continue to tolerate losses in that unit? Precisely. This is a huge question. And I think it's, it's indicative of this idea that um, Meta have become very good at saying a lot of exciting things. But actually, you're absolutely right. The track record for these more kind of outlandish, these more exciting growth levers, and the performance is not stacking up against um, expectations. Um, and I think for now, um, because there's been such extensive pullbacks in spending and this, this boost on efficiency elsewhere, the investor base is a bit more tolerant of, of these sorts of losses. But it certainly can't carry on forever. You know, you tack that onto the fact that, yes, we saw revenue grow, but it was only 3%. 3% revenue growth um, for a stock like this is, is very slow. So patience is going to run out at some point, and it could be soon. Okay, Sophie, stay with us for a second. I want to turn to Amazon, set to report results after the close today, capping out a very busy week for tech earnings. The focus for investors, the company's outlook for consumer discretionary spending, its recent cost-cutting initiative, and the performance of its cloud division, AWS. So, Sophie, what are you expecting from this report? Will AI be important for AWS as well? 
It certainly will. I don't think it comes as a surprise to hear me say that I'm expecting Amazon to be um, shouting about AI a bit like everybody else has um, this week. And there is actually um, quite a good reason for that. AWS is really well geared um, towards this um, this AI boom, and that's because it's it's positioned in an attractive place in the cloud ecosystem. So it's very much geared uh, towards the the infrastructure, the implementation side of this kind of booming tech. Um, the applications, the app side, is a little bit more limited, but I think that this this place that it has in the infrastructure and the potential upside there is very exciting. I expect them to be talking about that. Um, the level of granularity, obviously, um, will be will be up for debate, but they'll certainly be talking about it. Um, for me, the really big thing, and I think everybody um, that they'll be watching for, is that EBIT margin, those operating margins. You know, at the moment they're pegged to be two point four percent, which is very low, um, and a miss there would be pretty badly received. I think. All right. AWS, the market leader, according to Gartner, with about 39 percent market share. But I think you're right. People are looking for granularity. Andy Jassy, shareholder letter. It mentioned AI when it came to cloud, but we didn't get a lot of details. Sophie Lund-Yates, thank you so much for your time and your insight. Always great to see you. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we stay on the earnings beat as we gear up for Southwest results and whether this airline can shake off its ongoing operational issues that have really crippled the carrier. Worldwide Exchange, we are back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Southwest Airlines set to report its latest quarterly results in just about an hour. When it comes to the stock, it's been a laggard year to date, underperforming both the airline sector as tracked by the Jets ETF and the broader S&P 500 by a wide margin. But aside from the disappointing stock performance, the story for love has really been its operational nightmare, seemingly one after another one. It all started in late December when the airline was forced to cancel more than 16,000 flights and leave around 2 million passengers stranded because of computer issues following a major winter storm. Then months later, the airline unveiled what it calls an action plan in the hopes of preventing another operational meltdown. Fast forward two weeks, the company was forced to temporarily halt all operations once again over more computer issues before quickly resuming its operations, and all about 1,800 flights were impacted then. And this week, the Justice Department says it's joining the Department of Transportation in its probe of Southwest and it's scheduling. Joining me now with more Citigroup Airlines analyst Stephen Trent. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Oh, thank you for having me. All right. So let's start off with your price target for Southwest and your rating ahead of earnings. Yeah, absolutely. So we have um, a $33 per share target price um, and a neutral rating on the, on the stock. Um, Long term, very good quality company, uh, but going through a transition. All right. So your price target implies about a six percent upside from where we are right now. So you're not that bullish on the stock. So what are the biggest headwinds when it comes to Southwest? What challenges does it face going forward? And how do you see the Department of Justice and the Department of Transportation looking into this company? That generally isn't a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think on a top down level, there are kind of two places we think in the America's airline space that uh, are, are really fascinating. So one would be uh, those carriers that have significant international long haul capability, where I think some of these corridors, such as the transatlantic, are going to be booming, or excuse me, they're going to continue to boom uh, several months from now. I think the other pocket that looks really interesting is on the domestic ultra low cost carrier side, where if we do get some economic moderation, um, those carriers with the strongest seat mile cost profiles are, are likely to prosper. 
uh, especially with oil prices coming down. Um, and then you have uh, a Southwest, which I think is uh, a great airline, but it's in that in-between um, uh, sort of uh, land uh, versus um, not having any international long haul um, and not really being uh, the seat mile cost leader in the domestic market. Um, and then on top of that, you've had these operational issues, uh, you know, some growing pains in terms of the new strategy that uh, they seem to be employing with respect to um, having a little bit more slack in their flight schedules. Okay. Um, you know, in terms of the scrutiny that's on them now, whether or not it's fair um, is a little hard to say. Uh, but certainly when we look at some of the major disruptions over the past six months, uh, Southwest doesn't unfortunately, uh, they have unfortunately been an outlier. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the uh, you know, regulatory scrutiny right now isn't a surprise when you leave thousands of people stranded. So whether it's fair or not, it's a big issue. So I want to focus on just some macro issues. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, there's oil prices are a factor. There's also the possible recession. Um, Southwest generally seen as a lower cost airline. I know those international flights are higher margin. Uh, airlines make more money on them. But as we face a potential economic slowdown, is that possibly a tailwind for Southwest where people may have less money to spend when it comes to vacationing? Southwest also gives you those two free bags. Yeah, so certainly all of that will help. I think one of the questions that you know we have as we move forward, um, when you look at the new cost structure or what the new cost structure should be uh, in terms of having uh, more slack in the flight schedule, um, more robust staffing, um, greater investment um, in software, flight op software, and, and, and the like, um, and how much pilots and other staff are finally going to get paid. Okay. Um, you know, not trying to knock them. Everybody is out there trying to do their level best to reach new labor agreements. But the confluence of these items suggest uh, that we should see some higher costs going forward uh, than we used to. All right. So potential uh, turbulence when it comes to Southwest Airlines ahead. Um, it could be turbulent and it's going to depend um, how these things get implemented and whether or not we get a break from, you know, acts of nature. Right, we, got, we got to leave it there. Stephen Trent, we appreciate your insight. We also want to tell our viewers to be sure to catch Southwest CEO Bob Jordan discussing the airline's earnings in an exclusive interview that's coming up at 9.30 a.m. Eastern right here on CNBC. All right, coming up, the one word every investor needs to know today and tech continuing to shine on the back of meta earnings. Veritas Financial's Greg Branch, he lays out why he's not necessarily sold on the sector and what he's buying in the trading day ahead. Worldwide Exchange will be right back after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for what we call your WEX wrap-up, six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We are watching shares of First Republic after another massive slide yesterday. Following reports, regulators are considering cutting the bank's rating, which would impact its ability to borrow from the Fed. Bill Gates is $2 billion richer after Microsoft's massive move higher yesterday, its best day since November of 2022. DraftKings is reportedly planning to launch its own video streaming service. Bloomberg reports the service is expected to be free with advertisers' support. Johnson & Johnson's Kenview spinoff already in hot water. The Financial Times reports that at least seven lawsuits are now naming the company claiming its talcum powder products cause cancer. 
The British regulator that blocked Microsoft's deal for Activision is defending that decision, telling the BBC it was the right ruling for UK consumers and businesses. And Tucker Carlson breaking his silence in a video posted to his Twitter feed. Carlson weighing in on the state of media and politics in the U.S. without addressing why Fox fired him earlier this week. All right, we're gearing up for the trading day ahead. It's the busiest day of the earnings season as we look to hit the halfway point of the season with results from a lot of big companies, including Caterpillar, our parent company, Comcast, Amazon, Intel, and more. We've also got a slew of economic data on tap, initial jobless claims, Q1 real GDP, GDP prices, and March pending home sales. The Fed will release its balance sheet this afternoon at 4.30 p.m. Eastern, and the Bank of Japan's monetary policy meeting begins today with a decision expected tomorrow. All right, with all of that in mind, let's dive into the trading day ahead and where to put your money to work with Greg, with Greg Branch, managing partner at Veritas Financial Group and a CNBC contributor. Greg, good morning. Morning, Frank. All right, so Greg, every morning we ask Wall Street's brightest minds to share the word they believe will describe the trading day ahead. Greg Branch, what is your WEX word of the day? Today's word is ineluctable, Frank. It is ineluctable that we see a correction from these levels. And in fact, I think that we revisit the October lows from here within the next two months. All right. So just for everybody out there, synonym is inescapable. You think it's inevitable. It's going to happen. So with that in mind, where are you putting money to work today? Do you have money at, at work in the markets today? Well, I'll tell you the, the trends we're observing and, and where, where we observe most people putting money to work is in that NASDAQ 100 tech trade. And there is some reasons, some solid reasons behind that. At the, um, you know, ultimately, that those uh, mega tech Mega cap techs, tech names have both restructured on the one hand, which investors are cheering, but they also are a source of at least stable and relative earnings growth. So it is a smart play to some degree. What we'll have to question is what multiple is adequate for a safe haven multiple? And I think we're starting to stretch the limits of credulity with regard to those names, as well as the fact that they all tell us that the IT, the corporate IT and uh, spending environment is slowing along with the consumer. The other place, obviously, is to hang out at the short end of the curve, Frank. If we can get 3 to 5% in a relative risk-free way, sitting, uh, sitting there being paid to wait, um, that's certainly an alternative that we didn't have a year ago or two years ago. And so that, that certainly makes a lot of sense as well. Uh, lastly, I'd say if, if you have to be exposed to the equity market, look for where the earnings growth is going to be. And there's very few sectors this year that are going to contribute to positive earnings growth. Consensus has us at double digits by the end of the fourth quarter. Uh, I think that that's wildly optimistic. So focus on healthcare, focus on select industrials, and indeed some of those tech names that have secular tailwinds behind them. Okay, in all fairness. Uh, so earlier you mentioned valuations. Obviously, we have Amazon coming up. You also mentioned that NASDAQ 100 trade. Um, Amazon in the NASDAQ 100, but a pretty lofty valuation ahead of earnings. Would you allocate any money to Amazon? Amazon's tough. You know, they gave us 10% earnings contraction last quarter. Uh, for each of the last three quarters, they've come out and aggressively warned about a slowdown. I expect them to do the same this quarter as well. They are uniquely exposed to that consumer slowdown as well as the IT a corporate environment as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's probably in the same category as the other uh, mega tech, tech names in that. Sure, there are poignant secular tailwinds there. I believe I'll get it cheaper on the other side of 60 days from now. All right, Greg Branch, I'll leave the conversation there. Thank you so much for your insight and your WEX word of the day. My pleasure. All right, before we go, one last look at the futures right now. In the green across the board, the NASDAQ doing the best out of them all, up almost a percent, about three-quarters of a percent right now. 
And that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. I'm Cindy Lauper. My psoriasis was all over, even on my scalp, which may mean four times the risk for psoriatic arthritis. But Cosentix works on both. Cosentix secukinumab is prescribed for adults with moderate to severe plaque psoriasis 300 milligram dose and adults with active psoriatic arthritis 150 milligram dose. Don't use if you're allergic to Cosentix. Before starting, get checked for TB. Serious allergic reactions, severe skin reactions that look like eczema, and an increased risk of infections, some fatal, have occurred. Cosentix may lower ability to fight infections, so tell your doctor if you have an infection or symptoms like fevers, sweats, chills, muscle aches, or cough, had a vaccine or plan to, or if IBD symptoms develop or worsen. Learn more at Cosentix.com or one 844 Cosentix. Ask your doctor about Cosentix.